Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. From Barangaroo Studios, this is the COB. Brought to you by eToro. Invest in ASX shares with $0 commission. Well, hello, hello. This is the COB, all the stuff you need to know about the day in business and markets. I'm Nadine Blaney here with Carl Rutter. Good afternoon once again. And we made it to Friday, of course. We sure did. And boy, what a week it's been. FOMC, ECB, now we're worried about the RBA, or at least considering or reconsidering what the RBA might do in the wake of its minutes. Yeah, and I suppose that'll take us to what we will talk about at some point throughout the next 15 to 20 minutes, but uh, that CPI figure next week, which will really inform whether the RBA does indeed pause, which seems to be the consensus view at the moment in the markets. Well, I don't know. I spoke with Andrew Tysers from Nomura today who said, don't be so quick when you think about the RBA pausing in April. Look, we've got a couple of great guests coming up in the program that will talk to us about that very thing. Let's look at the market, though, today. It was, a well, like, look, down by two-tenths of a percent, so it's been a very negative week overall. In fact, Scuddy, our colleague, was saying this is the seventh consecutive week of losses for the local market, and he said the longest stretch of losses since pre Lehman Brothers collapse. And again, both our guests coming up have lived through how many of these these are really sort of crises, I suppose, um, uh, before. So we'll try to get their thoughts on whether, you know, this is Mach 2 or not, or 3 or 4, or whatever. Yeah, and we'll try and dim the lights as we do that just to really <laughs> set the mood. But uh, you can see that, again, down 0.2%. Uh, the ASX 200 is down 0.58% uh, for the week, at least as we wrap up cash yeah. trades. So um, negative week, uh, we know the story. Uh, but certainly investors not looking to uh, to buy too aggressively in this market, if at all. No. All right. So today we'll be talking plenty about the market. We'll talk about volatility, whether or not it is here to stay for how long. And also, you know, we, we're still seeing the banks come under pressure globally, perhaps not as much here in Australia for the reasons that we talk about mm. ad nauseum all the time. But I mean, this has got to be still a theme impacting investors, you know, particularly when you've got wishy-washy Janet Yellen, you know, saying she's not going to do any sort of a blanket bank guarantee. And then she says, well, you know, bank deposits are safe. So there's there's this sort of, you know, real consternation still in markets. You know, I had conversations this week. Mark Bailey from um, from Capstream Capital comes to mind. He says he's getting shivers up his spine. He thinks that there's another big shoe to drop that usually if you see a big bank fail, which is essentially what Credit Suisse was, that mm -hmm. there's there's usually another shoe to drop. Absolutely. And I suppose that's where the volatility comes from, right? It's uncertainty. And uh, we have had those arguments from both sides of the equation that, you know, the banks are in a very different situation to where they were 15 years ago, well capitalized. I go back to my conversation with Joseph Wang during the week talking about, you know, why that there are sort of idiosyncratic issues in those regional and small banks. The big ones are fairly safe. We don't know. We do know, though, that our uh, banks locally have been sort of, I guess, sold off, guilt by association, perhaps. Yeah. So, you know, what has performed really well this week? gold stocks. So gold stocks set for their biggest weekly jump here in over two months. So get this, Newcrest Mining 
has risen by 7.8% this week. So on course for its strongest week in nearly six. Northern Star Resources up by 6%. Evolution up nearly 14%. And even the small gold producers, so Alkine Resources for one, is up by 9.6%. So yeah, some really big moves coming through in the gold space. And today, you know, if it weren't for the miners, because they were negative this morning. I mean, this mm. is obviously what has lifted this market through the afternoon. Yeah, no, most definitely. And I uh, hadn't taken notice of that in particular. But uh, on your point about gold, the ASX Ordinaries Gold Index up for the week by 5.73% uh, for the month, for what it's worth, up 13.15%. So uh, well, the gold bugs out there have certainly um, well benefited from this uncertainty. But still, nervousness out there. When you see utilities, the best performing sector, eh, you know that not all is calm. Bit of corporate news today, Estia Health, there was media speculation this morning that there was private equity waiting in the wings and it came to fruition today. Bain Capital bidding for the company. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Live360, you can see there too, reported a $91.6 million loss uh, for the year to 31st of December 2022. IPH, it says that the cyber attack investigation will take weeks. So that's been a feature for yeah a while now too. And Block, yeah, Block, this is a good one, yeah, right? yes. you like this one, don't you? This is an interesting story. And it's one of those ones that you can't necessarily be surprised about, right? It's a payments provider in the crypto space. Yeah, people are probably going to use that for some unscrupulous dealings. This Indian report has really gone to town on the company for that, as well as obviously some other more fundamental reasons to the business. Uh, I didn't see where the stock finished trading, but it was down uh, by as much as 17% during the day. So an absolute bath there for, uh, for that company. And it was the stock of the day. Let's take a listen. What you want to be doing is you want to be owning this when interest rates have stopped rising and right. potentially interest rates are falling. So it would be a sell from me. It's always tricky to deal with. Remember, you know, we had the likes of Seek, um, Rural Funds Group, Wise Tech, and, you know, those stocks ended up performing quite well. It's always a bit of a dichotomy, I guess, short term versus long term um, expectations and views. But we'd be similar to view to Adam. I mean, it's not the right time to be owning this stock regardless, um, the non profitable tech sector. Furthermore, we probably have a few questions on the overall business model. Um, and, you know, they probably made the worst acquisition of the decade and after pay, just given the price they paid. So we probably wouldn't be anywhere near this stock. We'd be happy sellers as well. And like you said, the response to the to the short report was a little bit um, shallow and, and it's kind of just another reason why we wouldn't be there at the moment at all. So we'd be yeah. more than happy to sell this stock. Can't so, get more clear than that. Yeah, clear as crystal. And uh, for the session, just to give you that final number, uh, closed uh, the trade, day's trade at $89 per share. That's down by 18.34%. Okay, I really want to get to our guests. I'm excited about this one. We've got a double header for you, as we call it in TV land. John Noonan from Thompson Reuters is joining us in studio. Welcome, John. Thank you, Nadine. And we also have right. Shane Oliver, who's joining us from AMP Capital. He always does to wrap the week. We're really pleased to have you, Shane. I know you're on uh, a bit of a clock. So... Let's just get to the the you know the point. Are we in the midst of some sort of crisis? Have the horses been calmed? Is liquidity a massive issue for you when you sit back as an investor and take a look at the lay of the land? It's a bit like when uh, Chow and Lai was asked about the uh, success of the French Revolution, and he said it was too early to tell. Um, I think already a century had gone by when he made those comments, but I think it is too early to tell. Um, but the problem is 
that uh, this is the sort of thing that happens when central banks or the Fed particularly raises interest rates aggressively, uh, that you get these sort of ructions uh, often related to the financial system, sometimes can be directly related to the financial system, sometimes could be tangential to that. But this is the sort of thing you see. You initially get a, a bit of a shock, surprises everybody. Uh, we all think it's got under control. And then a little while later, it comes back again uh, with bigger problems somewhere else. So bottom line is, I, I think it's way too early to tell, too early to, to call the all clear on this. Uh, I, I think it would be very unlikely uh, that, yeah, this is all we're going to see in terms of the hikes and in interest rates in the US, and the negative impact of that on the US economy. I think there's probably more to go. That said, the authorities have moved very quickly. They've done a pretty good job, not a perfect job. You mentioned uh, Janet Yellen in there creating a bit of confusion. Also early in the week, the Swiss National Bank regarding those cocos or um, uh, bail-in bonds. Uh, but so far, so good. But uh, I think it's too early to, to, to completely relax on this. John, do you agree? Yes, uh, completely agree. I, I think that I think the authorities have done enough or they've done enough right now to put a, a, a massive systemic crisis like we saw in 2008. You probably put that aside. You know, banks are much better capitalized. Um, you know, the authorities are taking quick action. They've learned the lessons from not only uh, GFC, but also the uh, lessons from the saving loan crisis in the 80s. But I think there's still going to be a liquidity crunch or a credit crunch. Um, banks are not going to be lending uh, anywhere near the way they were before. They're going to be safeguarding their capital. That is going to be the play of the day. And the chances of an uh, economic recession in the U.S. and elsewhere globally is, uh, I think, very high now, much higher than it was before this crisis. Shane, throwing it back to you, and again, John, we'll get your view on this as well, but um, just when it comes to the banking system and more or less the, the, the communication we got from Janet Yellen the last couple of days came very, very close, of course, to that press conference from Jay Powell, uh, but there was some confusion about the extent of these deposit guarantees. Do you think, as far as market participants are concerned, if there's not a blanket guarantee over all deposits, that markets will, I suppose, go into a little, a little bit of a spin. And from an economics point of view, if these, if that becomes a, a policy from the uh, well, government effectively, that all deposits are backstopped, is this a pretty significant milestone in the way that we do banking? Well, it could be. I mean, we've survived for a long time without having a blanket coverage on deposits. Uh, the, the limit in the US, I think, is about 250,000. Um, in Australia, it's always been a bit vague. They, they uh, firmed it up through the uh, the GFC because there was a bit of a run in our bank starting. The authorities, the government, to the Labor government at the time, quickly moved in to put an end to that. But um, I mean, there's a whole bunch of issues around it in the US. Obviously, the US regulators can commit to support uh, depositors having more than 250,000 in a few banks. Um, but if you extend it to all banks, then that has a huge fiscal cost. And of course, Congress would be interested in that. And Congress uh, has uh, an ability to push back on this. I mean, it, the Republicans you know, may make it more difficult to raise the debt ceiling if the Democrat administration has gone ahead and put that blanket protection on for all depositors. So that's partly the problem here. On Tuesday, she made comments which were somewhat positive. Yes, if need be, they could do the same thing they did for SVB and Signature uh, in terms of protecting depositors. On Wednesday before the Senate, she sort of said, well, we're not planning a blanket guarantee, which sort of reversed that. So the share market came down overnight. She was back to where she was on Tuesday again. So um, she, she's sort of uh, tracing out a, a difficult path here on a bit of a tightrope. 
uh, doesn't want to upset Congress on the one hand and just add to the issues around the debt ceiling, but on the other hand, wants to keep depositors uh, reasonably relaxed here. So it, it does raise a bit of a can of worms that perhaps wasn't there um, prior to two weeks ago. But Shane, you know, coulda, woulda, shoulda, what everybody at home is saying, what does this mean for Aussie banks? What does this mean for Australian investors? Because sometimes, uh, I mean, I don't want to editorialize too much, but there's a danger in becoming too smug about our own banking system, isn't there? Because in this global world, if there is a crunch someplace else, if liquidity dries up, that's going to get tough here as well. It, it will. And that is the reality that, as John said, uh, yeah, this will have an impact on the banking system. The cost of funding will go up. There's that bit of uncertainty about hybrid. They will uh, price at a lower level, a higher yield than was previously the case. Um, there's that bit of uncertainty about depositors in the US. There's a bit of uncertainty about assets, particularly as economic growth slows down. We're talking about a, uh, a slump in commercial property values, particularly office. That's also an issue in the US that will affect banks themselves. So banks have already been tightening lending standards as we head into this. But the upshot is that it means uh, more downward impetus on US economic growth, which is something that both the ECB and particularly uh, the Fed alluded to in the last week, uh, which is why they weren't quite as hawkish. They hiked, we all know that, but they, they weren't as hawkish as they could have been. Um, and uh, you have to allow for that. That is going to impact Australia. You're looking at a weaker uh, global economy than might otherwise have been the case, and that will have an impact on Australia, and therefore we can't ignore that. And obviously there is a flow on in Australia. I think our system is better regulated. We don't have the concentration on, say, tech sector depositors that uh, SVB had. Um, yeah, there's more regulation around what our banks can invest in and so on. That's the good news. But obviously, there's still a vulnerability to, there to the property market. You don't want a situation where you over tighten, uh, result in a much, resulting in much higher unemployment, uh, causing a blowback impact on the property market and then problems for the banks. Uh, so that's why you've got to be a bit cautious here. And that's why I think it makes sense for our Reserve Bank to have a pause, uh, to, to wait for a little bit of the dust to settle from this banking situation globally and the fact that they've uh, raised interest rates at every meeting since May last year. Um, and then if need be, there's still an issue. Yeah, they can mm -hmm. jump back in and keep, keep hiking. But I, I don't think they will be. I think they'll find that they've done enough. Dr. Shane, it's uh, 4.16, so I know you have to go, so you can keep it to one or two words. Did the Fed also pause too, given all of those facts? I think they should pause, but my inclination is to think that at their next meeting, they will probably go again. But I think that will be it for the Fed. Uh, and obviously a lot depends on what happens regarding banks between now and the next meeting, which is six weeks away. Uh, but I think the Fed is either at the top or 25 basis points away from it. And if you, do the maths on this sort of stuff when you have this tightening and lending standards that we're going to see it's equivalent to as jay powell said our one two three maybe uh interest rate hikes uh so that's why i think uh, we're either at the top they're about to pause or alternatively just one more hike and then they stop dr shane oliver you gave us an extra one minute and 45 seconds of your time we really really appreciate it have a fantastic weekend see you shane thank you take care take care bye-bye so John Noonan from Thomson Reuters is still with us in studio. Does that sound about right to you? Mm. Um, because these central bankers are also super, super scared of inflation remaining this sticky, which it's proving to be. Yeah, their priority is still inflation. Yeah. And um, I, I think Jay Powell said, you know, we're still going to keep things tight. And whether the market does it for them by credit uh, spreads really tightening to the point where the Fed doesn't have to do 
you know, uh, big hikes. Well, certainly not jumbo hikes or tighten again. It really depends on how much that uh, tightens. The, the danger of that, though, is that the Fed, the Fed is, you know, they can raise rates at a more measured level. One of the problems is, and Jay Powell actually uh, referred to this, when is the credit market tightening? There is no set level. Mm -hmm. It could tighten a lot. Yeah. And if it tightens a lot, it could be the equivalent of 1% uh, of a rate hike. You know, they, yeah. it's very hard to measure because it's done, it's, it's, it's very emotional. Um, it's not being done, it's not yeah, being regulated. it feeds regulated. in and of itself, right? Absolutely. And so to get back to our banks, I think there's no systemic risk in our banking system right now. <clears throat> is, there's less competition in Australia than in the States where they have thousands and thousands mm -hmm. of banks and a lot of them can only operate in very small areas, even major banks. Um, but bank profits and, you know, while the banks are hoarding capital and they're not lending money, there's going to be less, less profit. You know, they're not out there trying to make mm -hmm. money. They're trying to preserve their capital. And that flows back into the economy where the economy slows down, which is not great for banks either. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that the banks are completely safe and there will be levels to buy it. You don't have to sort of, you know, uh, stay up at night worrying about Australian banks, but their profitability will be impacted. Mm -hmm. Should we go to ladies and Lagos for the day? Well, no, I want to get John's view. I want okay. to know if you're a bull. Sorry. No, that's Are you not. a bull or a bear? Are you feeling like, you know, we were talking in the newsroom. We've we've been, um, well, you've been appearing and you know, we've been having these chats since, you know, pre-GFC. Yeah. Like, what do you, what is your sense telling you? Right. I, I'm not, I'm not completely fearful like it was in 2008 or the beginning of COVID when you had no idea yeah, what's yeah. going on. This all new. But I do think that um, I, I, I wouldn't be buying right now. I think there's going to be quite a bit of volatility. I think there are more, I don't say want big shoes to drop in the banking sector, but little shoes. I think there's going to be a lot more cockroaches that are going to have to go under. Um, so I, I would wait. The, we had a close today, again, below the 200-day moving average. So technically, there's no strong buy signals out there. And I think, unlike the bond market, which is completely priced in um, recession, I mean, if you look at the, what the yields have done in the U.S. and, and every, around the world in the past week, they're pricing in a recession very strongly. Um, but I don't think the stock market has done that yet completely. Mm -hmm. But we're not at very frothy levels either. I mean, we had, you know, NASDAQ went down 30% last year at one point. So, you know, we're not, it's not like we're coming off a massive boom buying and, and a lot of investors have been pricing a recession anyway. But I think that until, you know, there's some light at the end of the tunnel, A, on what the banks are gonna be doing and that situation, uh, I think that there will be level, better levels to buy. But at some stage, there will be levels to buy, just not now. Mm -hmm. Do you like gold? Is, is, is I do. Because I know we, we talk about it a lot on the trade when we talk about it from a from a technical standpoint and, yep. and that as a setup. I mean, do you allocate yourself to gold in these situations or do you have a, a bias towards that? Yeah, certainly Aussie gold. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think gold is, is really a very... Um, it's, it's very attractive right now, both from because of you know the systemic risk, whether it's real or imagined, it's there. Uh, inflation is still a concern, so gold is appealing that way. I mean, if the U.S. dollar was to go back up because there's a lot of deleveraging going on, it's the reserve currency. That's why I'd rather have Aussie gold, but I do like gold, and I think gold will, in the U.S. terms, will probably go above 2,000 pretty easily. And when it does, it'll probably run for a little bit. So yeah, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm bullish on gold. Yeah, you can see some of the gold miners are on your screen too. Just uh, another really strong day for them today. Yeah, sure is. So yeah, when we have Uber bears like our friend, we'll call him our friend, Nathan Samasandaram from Deep Data Analytics, again pointing to the last time we've seen seven consecutive negative weeks was during the GFC, and it lasted for nine consecutive weeks. He says it may be nothing. You're not going to get too. You're not going to lose sleep over those kinds of stats just now. Well, I think one of the reasons is because <clears throat> this has been a very slow move down. Like, what, what are we down? A little over half percent for the week. Yeah. 
So very often when you have those massive sell-offs, you have these big bounce-back weeks, you know, corrections within the massive downtrend. So it's it's a little bit different. Okay. And that's a, that's, a, that's a nice statistic to throw out there, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't go crazy about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. All right. There's some perspective to end the week. John Noonan, Thomson Reuters, it's so good to see you. Thank you so much. Hope Thanks you have a indeed. great weekend. Thanks for having me. Speaking of the weekend, there's a few things on tonight. Uh, those folks in Europe and the States still have to get through this data on your screen. Yes, the PMI surveys and the key one there will actually be the US services PMI. The uh, sort of component that has actually moved markets significantly over the last few months is those uh, employment and prices component that has really driven, I guess, uh, rate expectations and expectations of future economic activity. Because if we do look at most of the backward looking figures for all the fears that we have about the banks, for all the fears that we have about the future, the data is still really strong in the United States overall. So we'll keep an eye out for that one because at the margins, it might be a little bit of a volatility event. Okay, and uh, well, on Monday, we've got a little bit of uh, company news that we can expect. Nothing huge, Sinlay Milk, Layby, Energy World, McMahon Holdings holding its AGM. But what I think is gonna be more interesting is to see what happens on the M&A front because in this time, we have seen a lot of M&A coming through. Estia is an example today. Okay, let's get to leaders and laggards. Look at how excited I am about that one. Yeah, absolutely. Leaders and laggards for the day now. Let's uh, take a look across the market. Getting these wheels back on, looking at these right. leaders and the laggards. <laughs> Zipco is up by 6.5%. Do you think that maybe it's the beneficiary from all the selling that we've seen coming through in Block? And uh, Temple and Webster, I had a chat with Johannes Fowles from Morningstar earlier today. I was surprised for him to say that he's seeing some value emerging in some of these e-commerce names as we return to pre-pandemic norms. Temple and Webster was not one of them. I don't want to mislead you. No. But Kogan was actually uh, mentioned in that conversation. He sees value sort of emerging there. Interesting. All right. Well, let's get to the laggards now. And uh, if we can get that up by... Well, Bellevue issues. Gold, Romelius, don't forget, uh, you know, taking a look at some of those names up by 5%, 4%. So just case case in point when it comes to some of those, uh, yeah, those moves that we're seeing, those really big moves that we're seeing in terms of the, uh, the gold space. The laggards, let's bring them up. There we go. Okay, Brickworks there, you can see down 4.2% for the session. Uh, that was after obviously yesterday's fairly significant mm -hmm. rally um, when the company reported. We were, were fortunate enough to obviously chat with them yesterday about the outlook. But Helios Polinovo also down by th more than 3% points, but as well off by 3.4% as well. Okay, Helios, um, it's been subject to takeover from ACL. Had a good chat with Claude Walker from A Rich Life today. He's a shareholder in ACL. He calls it an audacious bid. Look, lots of people have, but he was just sort of surmising what might happen if it actually did come to fruition. There might be yeah, a bit of a, a tough road ahead of good old ACL, but still um, interesting to see the M&A in that space. And uh, points bet service stream, both trading lower right now. And in the small to mid cap space as well, taking a look at some of these leaders and laggards. Um, Cezil is doing really well, up by 19%. I mean, put it in perspective, if we had the chart, you know, <laughs> that would say a lot. But it has uh, gone for a listing 
in the US are listing mm. in the NASDAQ. I can only imagine that that's what's helped drive the share price higher. Again, in that conversation with Claude Walker, he was saying, it, it, like, don't take that as a shareholder as some sort of big endorsement of strategy going forward. In fact, he said for a small company like that, it's actually, you know, it's a lot of cost and it sort of screams that they might have to go to market and raise capital and they're trying to find a bigger market to do so. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It used to be uh, an easy way to get your SEO at the top of the page. You used to mention Cecil just uh, for those playing at home. Really? Uh, yeah, you just put a Cecil in there and for some reason you would always score really, really highly. Uh, Legacy Iron Ore down by 11.76%. 88 Energy, another dropping by 9%. Uh, actually, a little bit, um, interestingly enough, um, I suppose, uh, resource heavy when it comes to some of the, the, the laggards today, despite that bounce back we saw in the large caps. Yeah. Okay. So that's a look at your leaders and the laggards across the market. Brings us to the end of the program, brings us to the end of the week, the end of the day. All in all, are we battle worn, Kyle? I feel like a nap. Well, okay. Instead, we'll go have a drink. Look, I hope you get to enjoy your weekend. Thanks so much for joining us throughout the week. If you've missed anything, you can catch up online or join us for our podcast. The call is up online now and uh, newsletters as well. We just aim to please, don't we, Kyle? Always. Have a good weekend. The COB is brought to you by eToro. Invest in ASX shares with $0 commission.